Hi, this is uh, Dave Vanderveen. This is the Kick Aspirational Podcast, and this is episode three of season one. I wanted to um, to go off track a little bit here, and uh, I had a request for an interview from a trade publication that we work with, which tied into a message that I got a day or two ago, which tied into a conversation I had at the gas uh, at, at the car wash, not the gas station, at the car wash, um, from different people that one I didn't know. Uh, and another one that I haven't talked to in probably a decade, um, who've been listening to the podcast. And I, I really appreciate the feedback and the input, by the way. Thank you. Thank you for all of that. Um, but also, I wanted to kind of kick it off. Uh, if, if you don't know what the Kick Aspirational podcast is, or you just dialed in for the first time, um, this is a podcast that's all about breaking through barriers in our own lives, building the lives we want. Uh, in fact, I'm going to add building the authentic lives we want. And, and really, um, you know, becoming the fullest uh, expression of the person we're meant to become. And so um, I'm going to be typically talking about stories from my own life. I'll be using uh, listener input, uh, questions, comments, etc. that I think are relevant. And, and I do have a progression of how I think this should be structured, how, we, how I think the story should go. But when I get these great tidbits that kind of fit into the course of production of these podcasts, I'll probably jump on them when they're relevant and timely. So um, if you have questions about me, um, I'm mostly known as an entrepreneur and adventurer. I created a lifestyle brand with my partners called uh, The Excess Brand. Uh, you can find out more about me at davidvanderveen.com. If you're curious, there's things I've written, uh, some television shows I've been on, and, and uh, the work that I've done. So uh, I've been very fortunate over the years to be able to travel around the world. Uh, the business that, that uh, we built is in over 50 countries. We work with millions of, of independent business owners to help them express themselves in partnership with our lifestyle brand. And I think the process of building that and doing that and creating that um, taught me a lot, um, largely through the failures, sometimes through, through the successes. And so what, what I'm trying to do, attempting to do in this podcast is share the process that I went through and the stories of that process, particularly the failures, sometimes the successes, I just don't think we learn much from successes. Um, in hopes that it will help other people break through barriers in their own lives and create the lives that they want rather than the lives that are being offered them, either that they've inherited or that um, you know somebody else is offering them. Because I don't think anyone else will ever offer you um, as much or more than you're actually worth. And, uh, and it's important that we kind of self-actualize and, and create what we want. And it's cool if that changes. It's cool. If, you know, I think life is a progression. I think truth is progresses over time uh, for most of us as we apply ourselves to the universe. And so that's what this is about. So I'm going to start out today. Um, I want to talk about um, authenticity. Uh, I had a, not only um, in business and for brands, but more importantly for ourselves, because I think we are each personal brands. Um, I don't really care what, what you do in life. I mean, I do. I hope you're doing it well. But it doesn't really matter what you do in life. We are all building a personal brand through our behaviors and the experiences that we generate around us. Uh, and, and, and so I'm going to start off with a request that I had uh, that I had meant to respond to, had forgotten to respond to, was a day late in responding to, to a reporter for a trade magazine in the direct selling industry. Excess was built. We were the first uh, first energy drink sold via direct selling, a uh, direct selling company. We uh, had a distribution partner, Amway, since 2002, who actually bought us in 2015. 
Uh, we had a three-year earnout, went very well. It's been a great partnership. Um, and so part of that process means that, um, you know, we work with trade associations in direct selling uh, where, you know, it's typically a branded products that work with uh, independent business partners that help them to sell and distribute and, and move those products and pay much higher percentages of their revenue to those individuals rather than pay uh, sales staff. So um, I had this question from, uh, here's, here's what the story's about. This came from the reporter. This will be a cover story for Direct Selling Magazine later. I'm not sure how much of this they're going to use, but I wanted to share the questions I got, the responses I gave them, and then tie it into some other conversations I've been having that are more personal, and, and hopefully this will help. Um, so first of all, the, um, the, the story is all about why being fiercely authentic and transparent are your keys to growth. What's the secret behind the most um, reputable brands in the world? They are authentic and transparent with their customers in every way. Imitation might be the sincerest form of flattery, but it won't serve your brand very well. And so this is kind of the, this is the premise of the, of the article. Brand authenticity is some, something that all consumers want to see, especially now. But what does it mean to you and why does it matter to your prospective customers and distributors? Um, and there's some bullet points here about a brand that has values and morals and stands by them no matter what. Um, while diverging flaws uh, is is a better brand, it's more honest, uh, an open and honest. You know, these these are features. They have open and honest communications about products and services. They celebrate who they are. They highlight their company strengths, but they're humble. Um, they invite their partners, distributors, customers, etc., along for the ride because you're part of it. Or you're, you're co. If if it's a good brand, you realize that that person's co-investing with you, so they deserve to know what's going on. You need to be honest. I always say you need to tell them about problems before you have to. You know, if, as soon as you identify them, um, and also celebrate successes. Show them you care. Do it right. Whatever. So these are some of this is the premise of the article, and I had a series. There's a series of questions that they asked me. And I thought it'd be fun to kind of read through the questions and my answers and then, of course, dive into some more personal stories from people who've written to me and things that uh, that I've been bumping into lately. It's funny for me. Uh, it seems like, you know, I'll kind of have something bubbling and then different stuff will pop up in my life that if I'm aware and paying attention, it's like, wow, it's almost like the universe is speaking to me like, here it is. Just pay attention and do the work. <laughs> wake up, right? Be woke, I guess, is what uh, what my, my, my sons would say. Um, so the first question was, how do you define authenticity? Um, and I said, authenticity for anyone, including a brand, means telling a story. We all tell stories about ourselves, what we produce in life, etc. You know, I think social media people are telling more stories than ever, hopefully um, more honest ones, although that hasn't been the case for everybody all the time lately. A lot of fake news on both sides of the aisle. For a brand, when that brand is representing itself, whether by developing products, sponsoring events or ambassadors, writing copy, developing images and campaigns, starting with one true thing, to quote Ernest Hemingway, and then developing that story into the truest one we can tell about that brand is the core to being authentic. Um, someone asked Ernest Hemingway, who's you know, one of the great authors of, probably one of the greatest authors of the, of the 20th century, um, how to write well and he said start with one true thing and you know and then build on that and and for him it was it was you know about distilling things down to their essence and then writing sparing um tight copies so that you weren't burying that true thing was superfluous you know unimportant uh 
descriptions. And so he has very, if you haven't read Ernest Hemingway, I strongly encourage it. But you'll notice when you read him, you know, it's very clean, very elegant text and prose that avoids uh, too many adjectives and too many descriptions um, to try and present the thing itself. Uh, very open and honest. And I think that that is how we tell the best stories uh, in general, because, you know, when we when we try and tell a story that's connecting with someone else, when we can distill something in our own life down to the 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 truest thing that that we've experienced, and take all of our context off of it or as much as we can, um, that's when it'll start to connect. You'll have common ground with a lot of other people. That's cer certainly something I've seen as I've traveled around the world and have to connect with people from different cultures, religions, languages, uh, parts of the world, and, and just you know a lot of things that would disconnect us. And if you start learning to ask questions that build common ground, ask questions that connect you, you'll start to find that, you know, like I've said before, we're all made out of people. Uh, you just have to dig down and all of a sudden the, the, you know, what your eyes look like or the color of your skin or the language you speak, none of that stuff really, really matters that much. Um, there's a human being underneath every single one of those people and they're all wanting to find almost the same things. Uh, in fact, I was just watching a Robin Williams documentary uh, last night, which was fantastic. It's called, uh, I think it's called Come Inside My Head. And um, it is on HBO, I believe. And uh, it, it, is, it is so good because Robin Williams struggled with a lot of things in life, um, you know, and, and ultimately took his own life when uh, at the end of his life, his brain was not working right, was giving him false signals a lot of times. And, and uh, you know, who knows why that happened. I'm sorry that he did. He, you know, he is a treasure that will be missed. But, um, but the most important thing is that uh, he lived honestly and authentically as much as he could, as deeply as he could, and as publicly as, as he could in his life, and in ways that made us all laugh and wake up and hear truths that we might not have been able to hear otherwise. I think great comedians do this. Great comedians today are literally um, giving us their philosophy of life in ways, in, in simple truths and ways with stories that, that bring us together a lot of times. And, uh, and, and Robin Williams was one of the great ones. Uh, I strongly recommend watching his, his documentary if you haven't seen it. Um, the second question, getting back to this, this interview, the second question that I was asked is, transparency is clearly important for all companies, but is there anything specific to the direct selling industry, in your opinion, that makes brand authenticity, authenticity especially critical? And I said, you know, in direct selling, uh, we have a lot of very independent representatives out in the marketplace telling stories on behalf of our businesses and brands. That means we don't have as much control over how our business and brands are represented as companies with, you know, employed sales forces might. There are, there are more people generally with less direct control. That's the, the nature of our business. It's one of the assets of our business. It's also one of the difficulties of our business. Um, <laughs> I like to say I never really know what people are saying about the excess brand despite our best efforts to create tools, videos, and training to help independent business owners we work with say the right thing that will help them succeed. People will say a lot of things. And, you know, when you, when you can't fire somebody and you can't dictate what somebody says when you're partners and you need to persuade them, I think, you know, on the brand side, our job is to create tools that really work and that make it easier to do the right thing than, than to do the wrong thing. Um, and I said that here. I said, you know, I believe that when we are authentic in our brands, when we tell the truest, most deeply honest, and most elegant stories, they are reasonably easy to remember and repeat because they touch someone's heart. They connect. 
Um, I just watched also the Fred Rogers documentary. Remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? I just watched that um, a couple nights ago with my son, my younger son, Willem. He's 21. He goes to, he's in, just starting his third, or I'm sorry, his fourth year, his senior year at the American University in Paris. And we were watching this documentary, um, which has become very popular lately on social media. It came out in 2010, won a ton of awards. is fantastic. Uh, one of the better documentaries I've seen is called Mr. Rogers and Me. It's about a, a, a guy who um, spent some summers, I think, next door to Fred Rogers and his wife and their summer home in Nantucket. Um, but it's, it was amazing um, on many levels. And particularly, uh, you know, Fred Rogers was famous for talking about how we relate to each other and how we relate to ourselves, to our own emotions. Um, and our businesses in direct selling are built on direct relationships, um, particularly more, maybe even more or more deeply than other, other businesses because there's so much personality involved in direct selling. Um, and so the key takeaway for me from this video is that Fred wanted people to be deep and simple. Um, Fred had said to this neighbor kid, he said, look, I feel so, this kid had kind of apologized. He was working for MTV when he met him. And I think he felt a little bit ashamed, not that there's anything to be ashamed of at MTV, but that he was in this, you know, um, maybe some people might say more shallow end of the business. Um, also more enterta entertaining. So, I, you know, the, there's trade-offs, but this is what the kid was saying. Um, and, uh, and what Fred said back to him is he said, look, I feel so strongly that deep and simple is, is far more essential than shallow and complex. And um, it turns out that there's a, a, a book about this called Deep and Simple. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit a little bit later. But um, I think that when we apply those words from Mr. Rogers to our own brands, it can make our work more difficult because deep and simple, simple isn't easy. Um, when you're creating that elegance in a brand or in a story, getting to the, to the elegant takes tremendous revision and a lot of editing. Um, but when we do, it's much more effective. Um, you know, it's funny, I'm going to do a quick segue here. Uh, I had an email from a young man who is, you know, trying to break through barriers in his life, doing a lot of good work, I assume, and is working in the film industry, which a lot of people said to him in his, from his background. He's, he's a, you know, uh, I think second or third generation, um, his family is, are, are immigrants, um, told him that getting to film was, you know, crazy or a waste of time. And he said, my goal is to win an Academy Award for the best motion picture. What do you think about that? And I, you know, I said back to him, I said, well, you know, one, I think it'd be great to win one. Uh, people who do, I think are very happy about it when they do. But I said, you know, I wouldn't make that your, your life achievement goal. Um, at least for me, it wouldn't be. What I recommend is I said, look, think about, you know, being true to yourself, telling the truest stories you can being as honest as you can and creating great art that connects with other people that only you can do, that only you can create uh, and only stories you can tell because when you do that well, people won't be able to stay away from your films the way that you tell them cinematically. And you may end up winning a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Academy or the Best Picture Award from the Academy. But but at the end, it probably won't matter to you if you do or don't because you'll be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Don't look to other people for, your, for the justification of your existence, for the actualization of who you are, for, for, the, for the determination of how you live your life. 
I mean, let people recognize it, thank them when they recognize it and appreciate what you do, but don't make that thing define who you are and what you're doing. Um, and I think that's what, what Fred was kind of getting at here too with, with this kid is he was saying, hey, look, I get it. We, you know, yeah, we all have to have jobs at times, maybe sometimes things that we're not so proud of um, or things that maybe aren't fulfilling us at, their, at, a, at the deepest level that they could be. So don't sit there, move forward, do other things. I mean, this guy ended up that he, you know, the, the kid who met Fred Rogers ended up making this documentary uh, because he wanted to tell that story. And I think that's really important and really profound. Um, and it leads to uh, the next question, which is how can you make authenticity part of your selling proposition? Um, and, and I said, you know, um, we invite our business partners and I think this is a really interesting question because typically when people think of selling, they think of, you know, making things up or, or um, you know, overhyping or, or all those kinds of things, the bad parts of selling. And I think this question is getting to what are the great parts of selling? Why, why do some people love it and can't get enough of it? And I think which typically is around human connection and helping, helping fill needs, helping people buy rather than actually trying to sell them something. Um, I used to manage, I managed a, a, a surfing sport with three surf shops and, and ski shops when I was um, between high school and college. And at one point when I, when I was a top salesperson there, when, um, when I was given the opportunity to manage it and, and take more control of the floor, one of the things that I learned really quickly is, is there is a terrible question that a salesperson can ask in a retail environment when somebody walks in the store. And the worst question you could ask is, can I help you? Because to every person who walks into that retail store, can I help you really means can I sell you something? And can I sell you something is not what people walked in there for. People walked in for a need or, or for some support or for some help. And, and so you have to be careful what you're saying, not because it's not it's necessarily what you're intending, but it's because what other people are hearing. And so what, what we trained our sales staff to do was if somebody come in, came in the store, you know, welcome them. And uh, let them find what they're looking for. Let them let them wander around the store a little bit. And if they wander into the tennis section, go up and talk to them about tennis. You know, hey, it's a beautiful day outside. Do you play some tennis today? Uh, who are your favorite players? Did you watch uh, the you know the U.S. Open? Did you? Who's your favorite player? Um, what what racket do you play with? What shoes are you wearing right now? How are they working for you? Ask great questions that get people coming back to you with answers that help you find what they're looking for, the reason that they came in, the reason they're in your life. Maybe they're not even in your store, but just get good at understanding people and helping them, helping add value to their life so that you're not selling them, you're not trying to get something from them. You're helping them meet you where you can provide value for what they want. Um, and so, you know, what we try and do with Excess is try and, and what we've tried to do in the past as a brand is we've invited our business partners to make our brand a part of their lives in authentic ways first. Like, don't go out and just try and, you know, sell it or share it. Like, how do you use it? Create a testimony. Um, we showcase a lot of examples to aspire to, particularly in adventure sports and getting outside. Um, I've already surfed once this morning, and it's, uh, it's just afternoon, and I've played tennis this morning, and I'll be going back out surfing with one of my favorite um, Japanese uh, business partners, in a little bit here, but my point is that I do this all the time. It's a part of natural part of my life, and it may not be for everybody. And so we say, but you know, encourage that idea, that concept of getting outside and living an adventure, specifically to your own life and with your own friends. Um, we use a lot of action sports images in, in the brand that we built. 
um, which are again taken from our own lives or with our business partners. Um, and and you know, and I said in this note, I said, look, I live in Laguna Beach. It's where and and adventure is kind of at the core of our community and and, and action sports and my own life. And I said, you know, this was a note I wrote this morning. I surfed three times yesterday, twice with a business partner for an outside TV um, television series that we're doing right now. And then once with a Japanese independent business owner who was visiting Laguna. The challenge is that our business is in more than 50 countries. So that, you know, if I live in Southern California and this brand makes tons of sense to me and and fits with how a lot of lifestyle action sport and adventure brands are, are presented, um, it might not make sense as much in Kazakhstan, India, or China. And what I say all the time, and in fact, I just said it six different times last week in Thailand, was, you know, look, I don't care if you like surfing. Um, that's an aspirational global brand idea. But what I care deeply about is that you figure out how excess gives you and your friends, how our brand gives you and your friends the positive energy to do more of the things that you love to do together. And then you share it on social media in a way that inspires conversation. Um, and then the next question was, how has that authenticity attracted new representatives and customers? And I just said, look, man, when you live in, in authentic and inspiring ways publicly, however you do that, whether in person, community, whether it's digital, um, particularly via social media, it attracts people who are looking to progress and get more out of their lives, particularly in the areas where you're building community. Um, I was just on a trip to a remote island in Indo Indonesia uh, in May. Uh, I was at a resort called Nihiwatu. It's on Sumba. Sumba is kind of halfway between Bali and Papua New Guinea. And it's, it's an island. It's a big island. It's six times bigger than Bali. But it has, you know, I don't know what percentage of the population, but only about 600,000 people. So it's very sparsely populated and a lot of tribes people still living in villages that their ancestors have lived in since, you know, since, since before the Iron Age. Um, they're living on bamboo huts where there's animals living underneath their floors, you know, pigs and things that they raise. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting place. And malaria has been a big problem there. Um, so we went there with some business partners. Um, and I said, so as an example, we, we were there for a philanthropic adventure with one of our business partners and, uh, and about a dozen non-business friends who just like to get outside and do things. It's an amazing adventure resort um, for surfing, for, for diving, for all kinds of different activities. Um, and, you know, I said, one of the things there is, is we have a new product that just came out that's really effective at helping people build lean muscle mass and lose weight. I'm not trying to sell you the product. This is just an example. Um, and I travel constantly, so staying in shape isn't easy, especially as I get closer to 50. I'm 49 years old now. So due to uh, being a bit more uh, careful about what I eat and drink and turning up some of my workouts coupled with this new product, I'm noticeably in better shape. Um, I like to joke that I have a 50-year-old six-pack right now. <laughs> you can actually see some muscle tone in my stomach is what I'm basically saying. But being lighter and stronger, uh, you know, it allows me to catch more waves, to breath hold longer. We were spearfishing, freediving, and surfing, um, and to get into waves earlier. And, and people noticed. Um, so there's a boathouse where we keep our boards down by the, you know, by the water at this resort. And I was mixing up um, these drinks that help people basically amplify protein synthesis, turn protein into lean muscle mass via this new um, patented amino acid complex we have. And, um, and people noticed. And basically, everybody was asking me how to get that product. Not because I was selling it, not because I was promoting it. I was literally just living it and then sharing it. But everybody wanted it. 
and um, and it was really simple. It was really easy, and I wasn't selling anybody anything. They were begging me to get it, and I think that that is what great selling is about. And it's because you live authentically, and it just becomes like breathing. It just becomes a natural part of who you are. Um, when we learn, when we earn questions that we want to answer through a lifestyle and experiences we create. Um, by living the brands authentically, sales and attraction is easier and tons of fun. <laughs> it never feels like working for me. We become beacons that attract rather than pushers who repel. Uh, the next question was, as we all know, the direct selling industry is sometimes misunderstood. How is brand authenticity helpful to, um, to, to busting those myths? And, um, you know, we've certainly had that in our business for a long time. Excess has a great brand reputation in general. Um, and, and, you know, Amway, which has been around for 60 years, has struggled with its reputation, not because they've done bad things or have had bad products, but because after millions of distributors have been through their business for 60 years, you get some bad eggs. Um, it's no different than the medical industry or the, the legal profession or the entertainment industry. I, I talked about this on Pete Holmes' podcast, You Made It Weird. Um, about 15 minutes in, he asked me about my background and my business and, you know, and Amway. And, uh, and, you know, I had to kind of just explain that a little bit. And I said, look, the, the difference is if you don't tell your story in a big public way, if you avoid the, the being public with your story and you don't tell a compelling story that's simple and elegant and, and engages people so that they want to retain that story and repeat it, then somebody else is going to tell your story for you. And typically people won't invest a lot of time telling positive stories. They'll invest a lot of time in negative stories. And, and sometimes there's a kernel of truth to those. Um, so I said here, I said, look, reputation is largely built and destroyed based on experience. The misunderstandings in our industry aren't always misunderstandings. There are people who have behaved badly, and maybe we haven't always corrected those bad behaviors quickly enough, particularly when it's generating sales we like. There's the, there's the rub. It's, it's a struggle to regulate independent partners. We are specifically trying to provide them with more freedom than an employee, right? That's the core of, of the essence of being an independent partner. Um, which is a big part of the authenticity of our industry. It's why it's called direct selling. I like to talk about making it easier for people to do the right thing by providing them with deeper and more simple brand and product stories to remember and repeat, and also the tools and programs that make it easier to do the right thing, the more authentic thing than the wrong thing. Because I think when we do that, you got to go way out of your way to do the wrong thing. And most people aren't doing the wrong thing intentionally. They think they're doing the right thing. It's just they've, you know, in, in, a, in the rush to get to an end, they've forgotten about some of the important values that are wrapped up in the means. And, and that is really essential. And that's where if we can help them think through that, if we can help each other um, keep those values front and center and make it simple and elegant and compelling in the work that we do, then it's a lot easier to do the right thing and be successful and, and not get caught, um, you know, doing things we shouldn't be. I also think that when you make a mistake, it's really important to acknowledge it, apologize, and, uh, and own it as quickly as you can publicly. And then, you know, move forward, fix it. Fix it systemically if necessary. Certainly fix it in that case. Um, and then also communicate how you're fixing it and how you're moving forward in a way that's better and more productive and, and solves this, this issue. Um, those things are essentials for me. I have zero tolerance for people who hide mistakes or bury them. In fact, I used to win when I did a lot of work in technology consulting in healthcare. I had a big healthcare client, and one of the questions they had was, you know, um, I was selling a big project. They said, you know, uh, 
how do we how do we manage failure in this project? Cause it's going to be it's a big project, and you know it, it may happen. And I said to them, I said, look, there will be failures in this project. Everybody, if, if there's a contractor you're talking to who isn't telling you that, they're lying to you. The difference between me and my team and the other people you're talking to is I will communicate problems as quickly as we discover them so that we can remedy them and figure out solutions as quickly and elegantly as possible. And that approach allowed me to win a lot of work from bigger um, bigger uh, contractors with bigger brands and more respected brands than the, than the small company I worked for at the time. Um, but I think that approach has been defining in my own life. Can you share some best practices? The other question, can you share some best practices for companies who want to do a better job of building trust with their audiences and creating better brand authenticity? Um, I just said, look, be more honest and more true, particularly in ways that connect with other people and that support better relationships. Our businesses are built on relationship. Arguing doesn't make better relationships. Uh, I say this all the time. If, you, if you've got a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, um, arguing between you does not make your relationship better. Uh, <laughs> finding agreement, finding common ground and building on that is how you build a relationship. And I also said, look, experience will trump will trump whatever someone else tells you about something you don't know for yourself or haven't experienced for yourself. If someone has heard, ha has heard a bad story or has borrowed an idea about, for example, Amway or our industry, but we can create memorably positive experiences with a product or program we create, it will overcome the negative. Um, to do that, you have to exceed the expectations that you create. If you're explaining and making excuses about the total customer experience, if you're explaining, let me say that one more time. If you're explaining and making excuses for the total customer experience, you're losing. You're losing against that proposition. You are killing your reputation. You are, you are not doing it right. Let me just be really crystal clear. I, I did a lot of work in politics in the term limit movement in the 1990s. We ran a lot of uh, campaigns in you know, more than 20 states. And um, we used to have we had a really simple saying, if you're communicating with the media and you're explaining something, you're losing that argument. Don't explain. You know, one, fix it, acknowledge it if there's a problem, but two, stay on point, stay on, stay on topic, and, and, and fix the problem. Um, so I said, look, just be so amazingly deep, true, and simple that you don't have to make excuses, that you can earn the questions you want to answer, and that, and that progress the relationship and add value to it in ways that matter to the other person, and then you can't help but win. So that, that was a short interview that I did. I thought it might be helpful when we talk about being authentic to our own self. Um, and I wanted to just really quickly read a, a note that I had from a friend who I hadn't talked to in a decade who has been listening to this podcast. I think it's okay to mention his name. His name's Tim Volk. Uh, we went to high school together at Holland Christian. We sat near each other in chapel pretty much every day. Uh, we had Latin together and homeroom together. And... Uh, and then after I got kicked out of Wheaton, we actually um, lived in the same house together uh, um, when I was in my second semester at Calvin before I graduated. So we've known each other for a long time. Uh, he's, a, he's a good friend, even though I haven't seen him in probably a decade or so. I met him in Miami with another friend of mine from, from high school um, about a decade ago. But um, this is what he said to me. I really like the message, so I'm going to read parts of it here. He said, I hope all is well, and it looks like it is. This may be my first real substantive Facebook message. <laughs> he said, I listened to your first two podcasts while commuting um, to Grand Rapids from Holland the last two days. 
I formed my own LLC in 2014 and been doing contract work in the West Michigan funeral industry ever, ever since. I love the freedom and the reward of being in control. Much of what you said resonated with me and with my experience on this journey I've embarked on over the last four years. Looking forward to future episodes. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> I'm not sure if I was the one who, who asked you about how you made the leap to Japan after Calvin, but looking back, I've always thought I should have and could have made it myself. And, and I, you know, sometimes when you're reading these, um, you don't always understand what the person's saying. And so, one, I just, I loved Tim and I wanted to make sure that I hadn't stepped on his toes. I said, hey, Tim, uh, and I hadn't mentioned his name <laughs> in the podcast because uh, my memory's not perfect. If you've ever been in a deposition, you know, we've had some nuisance lawsuits over the years where you get deposed by another attorney and you think you remember everything accurately and then they start digging up all like emails and all this stuff. And sometimes you're like, wow, I guess I didn't remember that exactly the way it happened. So I don't, I'm not confused that my memory isn't perfect. Um, if you think your memory is perfect, you need to read the work of Elizabeth Loftus. She is uh, uh, probably one of the greatest memory experts in the world. I had the benefit of sitting next to her on a flight from um, Southern California to Washington, D.C. Uh, on the weekend when she was being inducted into the National Academy of Sciences for her work in memory. Uh, she will tell you, you do not have perfect memory either. So anyways, I don't have a hard time admitting that. I said, hey, Tim, uh, thanks. Uh, it's great to hear you're doing your own thing. And thanks for listening to my podcast. I said, honestly... I think it may have been you who asked me how I did it, and that was a long time ago, so my memory isn't perfect. I thought you had said to me, you couldn't do that, or maybe it was just my memory. I think you had gone to Spain in school, right? So maybe I got that wrong. I didn't use any names in that point. Sorry if I offended you or bothered you in any way. Anyway, would love to connect again and catch up. Would love any questions or comments I can share to appreciate your voice and opinions. Best day. He said, I did go to Spain and Central America while at Calvin and was seriously thinking of going abroad after Calvin but was sidetracked by a job in mortuary science and also a girl named Amy. He and Amy uh, got married right after college and uh, or soon after college, and they were dating when, when I knew Tim in, at, at Calvin. I was not bothered or offended in the least bit. I probably did say it, and I didn't have the kahunas at that point to do it. I'm glad you referenced that discussion, and it makes total sense to me. I actually tell that version of my narrative when telling people how I got to where I am today. He says He says he tells people, I almost went abroad after Calvin. Um, I'm happy to say that I can look back on that and other points in my life that helped me to do what I did in 2014. It just took me quite a bit longer to, to take more control of my narrative. Um, I told him I thought Amy was a better choice than Japan. And, uh, and um, anyways, I said, um, it doesn't matter uh, how long it takes. I think it just mostly matters that you do take control of your life. He said, look, I'm in a good place and, and open to talk, walking through other doors that may open and opportunities that present themselves he just said, it's good to hear my voice and have a good night. Um, I love that story. I love it that one, I didn't get it completely wrong. <laughs> and if I do get things wrong and you're listening to this and you were part of that story, please correct me. You're not going to offend me. Um, but two, and, and, and two, we may find out that we have different versions of the truth. I mean, people have different perspectives. One of the guys I'm going to interview at some point is uh, Scott Kuhn, who was my business partner that sponsored me into Amway as, a, as an independent business owner in the, in the mid-90s. And then um, he and I and another partner, Greg Duncan, um, built the excess business together. And uh, it's funny, when you hear the story of how Scott and I met, I have a version of it and Scott has a version of it. Um, Scott's is much more entertaining than mine. And, uh, and I think what's interesting is a couple little facts where we, we're not sure who's right because there was no video uh, recorder or phone being, you know, recording anybody at the time. But um, 
but I love hearing his version of it because I think it's 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 more fun than mine, and uh, and you get different perspectives where I was coming from, where he was coming from, and what we were thinking as we were going through that. Um, and I think that kind of brings me to uh, back to this idea that Fred Rogers had about deep and simple and living authentically. Um, there's a there's a book that I'm going to recommend. I haven't read it yet. I just downloaded it. We're going to read it on the way up to um, the Napa Valley tomorrow morning. We're driving early to a party we're having, uh, celebrating. My wife and I are celebrating our 25th year of being together. And um, so I bought it uh, on my Kindle. I love my Amazon uh, my Amazon Fire, which has a Kindle app on it. Um, so that my we, we could read it out loud on the car ride up. We like to listen to books on tape and read books uh, as a family, and I think this would be a really good one. But in the Mr. Rogers documentary, Fred Rogers gave away this book over and over and over again to people, deep and simple. It's by a guy named Bo Lozoff, who um, you know was dedicated to this kind of uh, um, deep human spirituality and helping people overcome their boundaries. Um, Bo had some of has some problems in his own life, which un- unfortunately dismantled his nonprofit, um, and he's not with us anymore. He was killed in a motorcycle accident. But his book is is supposedly amazing, it's so good that even Mister Rogers would give it away on a regular basis. And so um, I wanted to read one of the uh, reviews of it and talk about uh, this review as kind of a wrap up to this this episode. Um, if you go to goodreads.com, you can find a little summary and some reviews of the book. And there's, um, there's a guy named Morgan CM. Give it five stars. I hope I'm CM or CM. I'm not sure how to say the name. Uh, but Morgan said, Sacred Bagels. During our meeting with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, I put all my attention into being present, open, and receptive in the presence of such a great spiritual elder. I tried to look practically. He's got two legs. Uh, <laughs> two arms, a head, and nose. We both wake up in the morning, go to sleep at night. What's the real functional difference between his experience and mine? One of the things I noticed is simply that he's full time. You and I may go to a church service or spiritual retreat, and with enough mutual support and encouragement, we we may let down our guard during that time, and we will and be willing to feel the living spirit with each other. We'll be open and trusting, experiencing the preciousness of being together and practicing together. When the service ends and on the way home, we stop for gas or a bagel or something. And here's the difference. You and I are then willing to pretend with the gas station attendant or with the cashier that life isn't so sacred. We pretend that this is just buying a bagel. This is just getting gas. We won't look in their eyes. We won't be intimate. It's just an unspoken agreement to avoid feeling how precious we are to each other. The Dalai Lama and other saints like Mother Teresa and Gandhi simply don't turn it off. They go into the gas station and see a precious child of God taking their divine credit card for the sacred gas, and they don't hide it from that person taking the credit card. Their whole presence says it's all equally sacred. Getting gas, praying in church, buying a bagel are all the same mysterious miracle. They live in love. So of course they are in love with the gas station attendant and at the bagel shop. They'll be in love with the bagel boy. Um, and I, maybe this is a quote from Bo Lozoff, Deep and Simple. Um, I'm sorry, that, that was a quote from Bo Lozoff, Deep and Simple. I didn't realize it when I was reading it. Um, what this person says is, I love that Bo uses the word pretending to describe it, that because that's exactly what it feels like. Often when I interact with strangers, I pretend that I don't love them down to the core because I don't want to freak them out. Truth is, though, I'm tired of using a dimmer switch on my light. I want to go on and love them out loud and arms wide. That is so powerful to me. That to me is probably the ultimate authenticity. 
the ultimate, at least for me, I do believe every human being is a child of God, that we have at our core this deep spiritual element that connects to the universe that allows us as humans to be very different animals than any other animal out there because we can intentionally, we can live intentionally, we can live deliberately, we can intentionally add value to somebody else's life without looking for something back. It's not just a symbiotic relationship. I love the idea of not pretending. I love the idea of living authentically. And as I was going through this morning, looking up this quote from Mr. Rogers and responding to these questions from direct selling and then reflecting on what Tim Volk had said to me um, and what Robin Williams had been saying in this documentary I'd watched last night, it all kind of came together. And I thought, you know, this is probably um, a good time to, to make this podcast happen. I wanted to share it. I would love to get your questions. How are you living authentically in your own life? How are you living inauthentically? What are the things that, where, you, where, where are you pretending you know, what, what are you doing that you really, you're faking it and that you're not acknowledging that you're faking it? And how can you get past that? How can you, how can we all live with love all the time? Live with this deep sacredness all the time that we see that we're all connected and that we're all part of this movement of the universe in a direction. And if we'll just pay attention and wake up and listen to it and participate we can take control of our own lives. Be kick aspirational, my friends. Um, please send me any of your questions, comments, concerns, whatever. Uh, David at kickaspirational.com. You can also DM me on Instagram. I am David58, D-A-V-E-E-D-5-8. Or uh, you can go to Kick Aspirational. We have a Kick Aspirational IG account. You can go there. You can also find me um, on, uh, <laughs> on my email, david at kickaspirational.com. Would love your comments, questions, input. Uh, this is a participatory process. This is not a, a spectator sport. And I can't wait to come back and talk to you some more. Thank you very much and have a great day.